Today on Locked On Canadians, it is a special weekend bonus episode. It is a crossover between Locked On Canadians and Locked On Senators, and you will hear a conversation about the Canadians' off-season moves and the rebuild so far, and then about the Senators, how they're doing their off-season moves and where they're expected to land. And finally, we ha- we went a little bit more in depth in terms of where you know which players to look out for, sleeper picks, where the teams are going to rank at the end of the season, all of that. And that's coming up on Locked On Canadians. Your Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Atlantic Division Preview. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Pillar, and today we are joined by the wonderful Laura Saba of Locked On Canadiens. You can follow her on Twitter at The Active Stick. I know her favorite thing to discuss is the Senators-Montreal Canadiens rivalry. <laughs> Laura, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me. This is such a great and fun idea. I'm excited to see all the other episodes as well. Yeah, it's, uh, we're doing a whole Atlantic Division crossover, and uh, we definitely were excited for the one against the Habs, because uh, like Ross mentioned, uh, <laughs> it's definitely one of the juicier rivalries we've got this season, and anytime these two teams play, it's, it's must-watch television for yeah. fans of either side. And wherever they are in the standings, right? Exactly. Like Ottawa had matter. been rebuilding the last four years, and they still yep. had competitive games, and now Montreal seems to be stepping into that phase, but that didn't take any of the fireworks out from the end of last season. Laura, where are you at right now with the Montreal Canadiens as they head into the 2022-23 season? It's really strange to say that I'm extremely optimistic when I know that the team is not going to be good. I know we're going to focus a little bit on the end results later in the show, but it feels like in Montreal, with the new management, uh, after years of frustration... Uh, or near misses or things like that. It finally seems like there's a management group and uh, a a front office staff and and coaching staff um, that are poised to take the team to the next level in the next few years. I know that the the results probably won't be, you know, where you would expect for a contending team, but the Canadians are at the beginning of a rebuild. People are talking about it being year two of the rebuild. And I'm like, no, that's year one of the rebuild, right? The coaching change happened mid-season. The management change happened mid-season. So we're kind of within year one of the rebuild. Um, And, you know, I think for me, as a Canadians fan, I feel good about the direction they're going in. And what I'm looking for this season isn't necessarily what the results of the games themselves are. But if I see the young players, the people who are expected to make the team or people who are expected to be the team in the future if they're taking strides forward in their development, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the way they play and how they improve. And so, you know, it feels like optimism right now. And Kent Hughes has made some really bold moves, has done some great trades. So you you feel confident with this front office staff. There have been question marks for sure, but I think right now the Canadians have the luxury of time and money to be patient and take some time to work really hard on developing. And I think the fans will give them that luxury. Whereas 
before I don't think that a rebuild, an open outright rebuild would have been, uh, would have been a good sell for the fans or an easy sell to the fans. And not only that, but they're bringing in player development staff that are just enormous names. Marie-Philippe Poulain, Vincent LeCavalier, you mentioned the new head coach, Martin St-Louis. These are well-respected names in hockey circles. And then they add Jeff Gordon to the management team, Kent Hughes, as you mentioned. Pilsy, I didn't realize this. Dominic Ducharme won eight games out of 45 last season. That's impressive. Honestly, like that is, uh, wow. And especially coming off going to the Stanley Cup final and then having that happen, we thought uh, making the conference final game seven and then the crash was something. That was a roller coaster of a ride uh, you just went on, Laura. Yeah, it was was interesting because I think for the, the, the Canadians to make the Stanley Cup final, I think they played really well and that gets discounted a lot. Yes, there were a lot of factors that helped them out. I'm not going to discount any of them, you know, like you can count on a Leafs implosion and I'm not going to discount that. But I'm, I also want to mention that, you know, against the Jets, against the Golden Knights, the Canadians played really well. Like every yep. single player attained their potential in that moment and all of the luck factors kind of uh, helped out. And then, you know, implosion against the Tampa Bay Lightning, I think that was to be expected. We did find out later that Shea Weber and Carey Price were playing through, yeah. you know, serious injuries. Uh, they never really came back from that. Um, but we didn't, I don't think anybody expected the season to start out with, you know, eight wins in 45 games. I don't think people expected them to be that bad. I don't think people expected Cole Caulfield to regress. So it, yes, you're right. It was a it was an emotional roller coaster, and then you know with the Martin Saint Louis improvements and, and Cole Caulfield finding his game, um, and I think people are looking forward to a couple of years of stability. If it takes a few years to to go back into playoff contention and hopefully be a Stanley Cup contending team, I think people are going to be okay if they can see sort of a steady increase as opposed to all over the place. And it, it wasn't just Bergevin, um, it wasn't just Ducharme. Like the Bergevin years had a lot of that, yeah. right? Like the, they'd make a conference final and then they'd miss the playoffs for three years. So like there's there's a lot of that going on. So I feel like just like a steady sort of clear goal, a clear path um, and, and slow improvement and, 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 you know, tangible improvement I think is what we're looking for. Like, I, I don't think anybody wants any of that, any of that emotional, you know, any of any, I, I, you know, you called it a roller coaster. I just think it's like, it's frustrations. It's those highs and lows, the frustration aspect. I don't think anyone yeah. wants that. At what point did you know the season was off the rails? Cause you had to have high expectations after making it to the Stanley cup final, but then they scored four goals in the first five games. All five regulation losses was that the alarm bell when you didn't have the Webers and the price in the world, or was there still that hope that, Hey, we've got a little bit of a long playoff run hangover and things will be all right. I, I will say that I had a little bit more patience than those first five games. Um, and I think for me, it was about probably game 10 because that's around the time that you expect all the rust to be shaken off. Yeah. That's around the time you expect leaders to emerge, to replace the ones that were lost. That's about the time that you would expect a coach to make adjustments so 10 to 12 games in, I think that's that's a good, you know, I look at the first month, the 10 to 12 games, if, if October, you know, they couldn't get it back, then I, it's not that I started to worry, it's that I was resigned um, to the fact that the team was was not going in a good direction. Yeah, and uh, Laura, you mentioned earlier how you're starting the rebuild here, and I, I feel like 
it sounds funny, like you said, to be, say you're optimistic, but Sens fans can kind of relate to that. It is kind of comforting knowing, like, okay, we are in a rebuild. We can't get any lower than this. There, there's <laughs> only is only up from here. And now you can get excited about prospects. You don't have to worry so much about wins and losses. It's more about the improvements. And what a way to kick off a rebuild, drafting first overall in Montreal. Like, nonetheless, it, it was just a epic way to kind of kickstart that. However... A lot of people, myself included, were surprised with uh, the Habs going with Uri Slavkovsky first overall. Now that the dust has settled a little bit and uh, we've had time to digest it, how do you feel about that decision? I understand it a lot more after watching the Canadians behind the scenes draft video. And, you know, obviously it was only 10 minutes and it's it was taken out of hours of interviews and conversations. But the way that they talked about it, you know, they 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 allowed a little bit of a glimpse as to what their thinking was when they chose him. Uh, so I understand that a lot more. And, and I do think that one thing that we've kind of had to uh, accept as fans is that Slavkovsky is a lot more raw than Shane Wright. Shane Wright was a much more complete, well-rounded player closer to being ready to the NHL, to be to make the NHL. I think with Slavkovsky, as, as much as he has a high ceiling and as much as he plays well in big games and big moments, when you watch him, you can see the pockets of potential in the plays that he makes, in the way that he carries himself. But you can also tell that there needs to be more game action, more NHL experience, even more AHL experience. So I'm excited about the extremely high ceiling for this player. Uh, I am a little bit apprehensive because I know that for him to attain that potential, the Canadians need to develop him right. And for all their talk, we haven't yet seen the action. We've seen the hirings. We've seen their their conversation. We've seen the way that they talk about how they care about development now, how they're going to invest in it, and, and you know who more to invest in than your first overall pick. But I want to see it in action. So, like, to me, it's really, it's up to the Canadians. The player himself seems ready to become a star. He wants to be a star. He wants to be a big part of Montreal. He wants to be a big part of bringing success back to Montreal. And I sense that the way he works, he's going to do what it takes. So it's up to the Canadians to really lead him correctly, to support him well, not to rush him. And so for me, like, you know, like I, I was having conversations on draft night. I was shocked. And, and Pilsen, you remember that. I was so yeah. shocked. I completely forgot about the Debrinket trade that day. Yeah. Like that, I, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, <laughs> thank you for not calling me on that, by the way, <laughs> uh, in the, in the recording. But, you know, we, I was having conversations with people and they're saying like, this guy could be a total bust or he could be like the next Yaromir Yager. And I'm like, if he oh. gets like one fourth of the way to a Yaromir Yager, yep. how great is that? Yeah, it would be fantastic. Now, I just went all the way back to find the last first overall picked forward who didn't play in the NHL immediately following his selection. Matt Sundin in 1989. There's been a few defensemen along the way. Owen Power, Eric Johnson, both stand out in in terms of that. But is there pressure for Slavkovsky to play the whole year in Montreal? You mentioned Laval as an option where they wouldn't even burn a year off his contract. Is that more than likely in your opinion? Or will he at least get the nine games and then reassess? I think there will be an assessment period because I do think that the Canadians expect him to make the team at some point this season. 
but not necessarily full time. And it's entirely possible, you know, opening night at home for the first time in almost a decade, I, I believe, I think a decade against the Leafs. It's entirely possible that somebody like him and guys like Caden Gooley would be in the opening night roster. And then, you know, after a few games, they might get sent down to, to really uh, spend some time because you got to think about it. Like he has to get top line minutes he, and he has to play against really physical competition and the AHL is great for that. So I don't think that he'll spend the entire year in the AHL, but I do expect personally, and I might be wrong, but I do expect personally that he will spend time in Laval first at the beginning of the season, if not the first game at the beginning of the season, you know, maybe a week or two in, even maybe after, after that first game, I don't know. So this is uh, something definitely to monitor. And I kind of look at it and similar stature players, different skill set. but Miko Rantanen, when he came over, got nine games, but then just learned how to dominate the North American game was over a point per game in the AHL and then scored 20 in the NHL next year. So I'm <laughs> curious if that would be a good development path to, to look at uh, when Uri Slavkovsky's on his way up because the physical tools are there. What's he at? 6'5", 240 basically Huge. right now? Essentially, yeah. He's yeah. even getting used to skating at that weight. Like he put on a lot of pounds this, this, this season and it's all like it's bulk. It's not, you know, it, it's him working hard and he's obviously, he's, he's 18 um, he's pretty young. He just got his braces off a couple of months before the draft. So like, you know, he's a kid that's growing into men. So there's a little bit of, of, of growth there. Uh, and he he's learning to kind of use that, that, that body and that space a little bit. But every time he does something that shows why Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon fell in love with this kid, like I think, I think to myself that, you know, the Canadians better not screw this up because it could be something really good. It really could. And the irony that they take a man that enormous at first overall and then take Lane Hudson, my favorite <laughs> prospect from the draft really? in the second round. Uh, he was the best. He was the best. After we did our profile on him, his dad DM me being like, thanks for the nice words. His growth plates are, are very underdeveloped. He will be, he will be great. And I, I believe it. That guy is such a stud the way he skates. Uh, and then Owen Beck was a favorite as well. So really, to me, the Habs 2022 draft was similar to Ottawa's 2020 draft where yeah. you get all these assets in. And now that's when the excitement of a rebuild starts. You yes. said this feels like year one. It's the same, right? Because the first year when the wheels actually fall off for Ottawa it was 2017-18. You don't even have any prospects where you're like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Like they're coming. <laughs> yeah, they didn't sucks. even exist. <laughs> yeah, it's just everything sucks. Andrew Sturts yeah. was like a prospect to watch. I think Ottawa traded him to, to Montreal for like, um, anyways, doesn't even matter. A player who <laughs> may, might never have even been named. Uh, I have one final question for you with Montreal. We're going to touch on a little bit more later when it comes to a sleeper pick. But we saw the great chemistry between Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. Who do you expect to start the season with those two on the top line? So they've got a lot of options. Uh, some of us would like to see SE alone in there because he's got a lot of skill. I think what they're going to do, to be honest, if Josh Anderson is healthy, is put him back there at the beginning. Um, I know that a lot of people just want a top line that's, you know, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Slavkovsky, but you got to think about people, you know, playing on their right sides. You got to think about, you know, who can read the play and all of that. So I do feel like they're going to start with Josh Anderson and they're going to give somebody from the prospect pool a look at some point. And it's entirely possible that Josh Anderson gets traded. He's a big guy. People love that. He's a power forward. People love that. He's very handsome. I love that. But um, I think I think that's that's who they start if he's healthy. Um, and then if he's not, I, I truly have no idea because they have so many options. 
and they want to make sure that they preserve the chemistry between those two but also have them sort of bring along some development as well just by you know sheerly sheer playing with nick suzuki pilsey andrew sturtz and a fifth round pick were traded from ottawa to montreal in exchange for i don't know i have no clue considerations <laughs> mike riley Actually. Oh, wow. oh yeah right yeah yeah that was um that was the trade we actually ended up really liking <laughs> all right stick around if you want to learn some more this is a crossover edition of locked on canadians locked on senders i'll be right back i gotta wash my mouth out and then we'll talk some ottawa senators hockey afterwards <laughs> with laura saba and brandon pillar i'm ross levitan stick around it's part of the locked on podcast network your team every day all right you're listening to a crossover edition in the atlantic division I'm Ross Levitan, alongside Brandon Piller, and joining us, Laura Saba from Locked On Canadiens. You can go follow the show on Twitter, LO underscore Canadiens. You can follow Laura on Twitter, at The Active Stick. And we are at Sends Central, although I feel we might have some of your listeners blocked, Laura. If I see a Habs <laughs> logo and, and they're giving it to me, I said, I don't know if you're going to provide any any very nice words for us ever. <laughs> so i just like to, to cut the umbilical cord right there. That to say... It's always fun when these two teams get together. And what are you expecting this year? I'm a little upset because Ottawa and Montreal, I don't need it to be the home opener or, or early in the season, but I think we have to wait till late November for the first matchup. Absolutely. I just want to say, though, it's pretty mutual. Don't worry. I, I'm not taking it personal. If you block <laughs> any hats, fans, there's plenty of sense fans in my delete and block list. <laughs> um, and the reason is, is because these games get really contentious, right? I am also... It's one of those things where every time they play, you're mostly hoping that all of the players get out unhurt. <laughs> like that, that to me is Especially when in the rookie games. Because like, Habs fans said it was a thing that the Sens guys were injuring there. And then we lost three guys in that game this, this year. I believe it was all to one player, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Which sucks because like, he would be my favorite player if he played for the Sens. We got one coming. Don't worry, he's still at North Dakota. You guys will meet Tyler Clevin next year. But uh, yeah, it is. Oh, you got to admit, though, Brandon Gallagher is a psychopath. Did you hear his answer, the, what he said about his grandparents the other day? I did not hear that. Are, it was you, like, are you about to mem- give me news about the Canadians? Core memories from when he was a kid. And he's like, yeah, I used to go to my grandpa and kick him in the nuts all the time. And everyone else had these like cute stories. And he just went, I was like, if that was my teammate, I'd tell him to smarten up. They're role models. There's kids watching. But uh, no, it, it, it always, it's always good for the headlines for sure. When these two teams get together. Uh, yeah. So what, what would you think if you're asking us as a, someone who's followed this team, but from the periphery, what, what do you want to know about the Ottawa Senators? A lot, actually. Um, I, I do. I really, uh, you know, one of, I think the first question that I have is how do you feel about what changes they've made in goal? Let's start from there and then branch out. Okay. How do you feel Hashtag about really the, the new, I guess, you know, removing Matt Murray from the equation? You know, and I, and I believe, are they hanging their hopes on Cam Talbot? I don't know. Not in my opinion, Pilsy. Yeah, not not at all. I think uh, people outside Sens fandom and uh, the NHL circles don't really respect Anton Forsberg enough for where we hold him. Like he really came in and saved the day in multiple occasions last season. Like Matt Murray was supposed to be the guy. They they paid him. He was one of the highest paid goaltenders in the league, and unfortunately. 
He had a lot of uh, health issues, injuries, illnesses, all these kinds of things, and he was hardly ever available. And that's why the Senators picked up Forsberg on waivers. And now, in our opinion, he's still the 1A guy. Like Cam Talbot is trying to take his job, in our opinion, because he proved he can be a starter. He put up incredible numbers behind a terrible, terrible Ottawa Senators defense. So for us, having two solid goalies is such a relief because – Last year was basically like, let's give Anton Forsberg as many starts. And then when he gets tired, we'll, I guess we'll turn it to Gustafson or Murray. And the coaches, the fans, and probably even the players, you could tell they were not confident in those goalies. So Anton Forsberg is an incredible place to start. Adding another veteran like Cam Talbot, the Sens fans, uh, kind of the circles and uh, opinions are that we have a really solid goaltending tandem here. Yeah, what I like about Anton Forsberg too, and, and you mentioned the solid numbers he put up, a 917 save percentage, yeah. but in 46 games on this Ottawa Senators team last year, he had 22 wins and 17 losses. So batting pretty high above 500 yeah. for a guy who wasn't really expected to be much of anything. I believe he was put on waivers three times the year that they got him. From it Carolina was. to Edmonton to Winnipeg to Ottawa. And this is all during COVID. This guy's got a young family, <laughs> two kids. And now he's become a fan favorite. He, he actually marched in the Pride Parade in August. So really kind of getting himself into the community. And it, Ottawa's kind of had experiences like this before when it comes to C- Craig Anderson, who was acquired as a journeyman 30-year-old who really couldn't get his, his uh, bearings in one location. So we're hoping. It's still early. He signed to a three-year extension at 2.75. So it's not like you're investing a whole lot of capital in him. But for what he's put up the last uh, season and a bit since he's come to town, he's been available, which you can't say for the other goalies in the organization, and he's put up some good numbers. So I understand, especially from your perspective, being like, oh, Camp Talbot, 35 years old, was an all-star last year with Minnesota, won 12 of his last 13 games down the stretch in the regular season. But I think it's going to be a pretty healthy competition, 1A, 1B. I don't think either of them plays more than 55 games, though. I think it's going to be pretty even at the end of the day. I want to next ask, uh, first of all, can I have Thomas Shabbat no. for the Habs? <laughs> Absolutely not. <All> right. <laughs> no mercy. <laughs> but let's talk about the defense a little bit. Yeah. Uh, if you, you know, uh, general consensus is that the Ottawa Senators have made uh, amazing improvements in the offseason. I think, like, personally, in my mind, they were the most improved team. You know, they, they made the best moves. And Debrinkit was obviously a steal at what they what they got for him. And you get a little lucky with Chicago there. You know, I feel like Kirby Doc as well was kind of like a luck thing. Um, obviously, Debrinkit is elite. I, you know, he's, he's amazing. Like, I, I love watching him uh, play, and I'm very, very jealous. But uh, I want to, like, let's talk a little bit about the defense because we talked about how, you know, Ottawa has made the best, the, the biggest strides, the most improved, the best improvements, the most improvements, all of that, all of the superlatives there. Uh, but I want to know, what did they do to help their defense? Because that's the question mark. If you ask me, and again, I'm an observer from the outside, that's the question mark. Everywhere you go, it's not even goaltending. It's not a question mark in goal. It's a, you know, if they get competent goaltending, everything will be okay. But for me, the defense is like, it's a question. There's no there's no doubt that it is a, a huge question mark. But if you had asked us in mid-June, what are you most excited about for next season? And yeah, I guess that's kind of unfair because that's before all the moves. But Jake Sanderson, his arrival to the NHL, like there is so much hype and excitement about him in Ottawa. And 
what a tease too. Like he, he was playing so well at North Dakota. He was uh, named a first team all-star and he missed half the year, suffered a brutal injury at, uh, at the mid part of the season. He was like diving across the crease to try to save a goal and a skate cut his hand wide open. Then he got back just in time or no, it was the other way around. He got hurt at the Olympics, came back in time, got hurt in the first game, still at a point. And then came back in his first game back, got hurt again. So it was such like start, stop, start, stop season. And then he came to Ottawa and was pushing so hard to get into a couple of games at the end of the year, re-injured himself and ended up missing. I think he was wearing a cast for like eight weeks, it felt. So we're like, okay, like that sucks. However, looked good at the uh, at the rookie tournament. Only played one game though. Looked real good against Toronto uh, in, in the preseason opener. Had some great defensive plays against Marner and Nylander. So not the depth guys, the guys you want to see him defending well against. And a lot of their potential success hinges on a 20-year-old. And that is not lost on me how uh, stressful that is. They, they seem like they're in on every guy. Like they were in on Mackenzie Weger. They were in on John Marino. Uh, the laundry list continues, but... The one that's left is Jacob Chikrin, who obviously has ties to the Ottawa area. His family has a cottage in Armprior and always has in the Ottawa Valley. So I don't really know if there's a fit. It almost seems forced because he's another left shot guy and the the contract looks great, but what are you going to have to give up for him? Uh, Talking about handsome guys, uh, Shane Pinto isn't going anywhere uh, anytime (laughs) soon, hopefully. But yeah, when when you look at, at the decor with Ottawa, like, you're betting on at least one of Hamannick and Holden being able to handle like a top four, top five role with defensive responsibility. So that could be scary. Yeah, I could understand Sens fans being a little nervous about that. I mean, honestly, the other day I got asked if there were any Norris candidates on the Canadians, and I was like, I don't even know if there's like that many NHL defensemen candidates on the Canadians. Um I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get yelled at by our fans. There's a lot of potential in the pipeline. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. And I think, uh, you know, uh, Matheson seems to be a really great pickup for the Habs. But all I'm saying is, I understand what you mean yeah. when you say like your hopes are hanging on <laughs> your top pairing, and then like some guys can can sort of support them. Um, and and so I did want to ask a couple more questions about the current roster uh, and uh, what. I mean, I guess like this was something that a lot of people in Ottawa wanted, predicted, and you know, it did seem like a foregone conclusion. But Claude Giroux coming home yes. um, was was a big one, and uh, so I want I want to ask you guys, what's your assessment of? <laughs> there he is. Um, <laughs> and that that day where like he he showed up to sign and, and meet the media and brought his kid, like just you know, I, I I've actually been following his wife on Instagram for the longest time. Nice. And, you know, like all of this stuff where like she, she, I think she, like she ordered food from somewhere and like they had like welcome home Jeru's or yeah, something like that. Like sure. it's just like, be- it's such a heartwarming story. Behind the scenes. She, I think had quite a bit to do with him coming to Ottawa. Right. That's she's what we're, from we're, the that's area, right? She, she's, yeah, she's born and raised in Ottawa and, uh, and Claude moved here, I believe when he was 10 or 11 to from play, Hearst right? uh, up, up North. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he played in uh, Cumberland, like played minor hockey here and then didn't get drafted to the OHL. So then he applied to the Quebec league. And then I think he put up back to back hundred point years. I mean, the rest is history about his career, but yeah, my first tweet having lust for him was in 2018. So this, <laughs> this has been a long time coming Pilsy. I'll hand it off to you with that. Yeah. And, and he was just the perfect guy. Like Pierre Dorian even talked about it years ago. I think 2018, him and Eugene Melnick. 
yeah, they had a massive meeting uh, in the Caribbean and they talked about how are we going to rebuild this team? How is this going to work? And the one guy they focused on is in the summer of 2022, Claude Drew is going to be a free agent. That's the guy we're going to go for. And it was written. It was written. And uh, this is a the guy they've targeted. And he, there's not a single other guy I can think of that makes more sense to come to Ottawa at this time because they needed a veteran guy for their top six. They needed someone that wanted to be in Ottawa. And like Ross mentioned, uh, the family ties are a big part of that. And third, give me a third finger, Ross. There we go. Third, uh, <laughs> they needed someone that can help out these young centermen with their face-offs. And Claude Giroux has had incredible face-off success. And it's so hilarious. We're such loser fans. But Ross and I are so excited about watching a five-second video of Claude Giroux teaching Tim Stutzla how to take a face-off. We're like, that's what we wanted. That's what Amazing. we needed. And because... Can I get this on print? Yeah, exactly. Because... The Ottawa Senators, their center depth right now is very young. You look at Josh Norris, Tim Stutzla, Shane Pinto, and possibly even down to the fourth line, Mark Kastlick. So all these guys are very limited experience. Yeah, Ridley Gregg could be in there as well. So all these guys, limited face-off experience to have a guy every practice, every day, spend 20 minutes with you showing you the tips and tricks that he's acquired over a long career is, is just the value is immense there. So... Claude Giroux coming on a three-year deal, reasonably priced. The Sens have cap space for him. The stars just aligned. So we were all so ecstatic that the Senators finally, free agency, didn't get uh, beat out by every other team in the entire league. <laughs> yeah, that's their Claude biggest. chose to come home. That's their biggest free agent signing of all time. There's no question about Easily. that. Second would probably be Alex Kovalev or Sergei Gonchar. And those guys were yeah. like... 37 and 38 not 34 and still coming off a real good season and again Pelzi said at the stars align like Florida just couldn't offer many money I think their final offer them was one by one like hey yeah. if you want to come back like we'd love to have you but we literally can't pay you anything so instead he takes the 650 percent raise and comes <laughs> to Ottawa at 6.5 over the next three years which I think is reasonable so Lee fans are were quick to be like oh Patrick Marlowe well, Patrick Marlowe, when he signed that three-year deal, they ended up having to trade a first-round pick to get out of it. He was 37 when he signed the deal, not when it was finishing. So uh, I think at this age, it's perfect. If it was a year or two from now, then you're getting into that, uh, is it worth it? But at 34 and playing with the guys he is, it's going to start as a line of uh, Stutzla, Debrinket, and Giroux. Call it the first line, call it the second line, whatever. But it's, it's going to be fun. Like you mentioned, the defense, real question mark. This team's going to be a high-scoring team, and they're going to be fun to watch for sure. So I have a couple more questions with with regard to Claude Giroux specifically. Is you know how much production do you think he can put up? Like I, I think the intangibles are immeasurable, right? Obviously, <laughs> intangibles are by definition immeasurable. But I think you know all of that, the influence that he's going to have, the veteran presence, that you know bringing the young guys along. What do you think his production is going to look like, particularly since? Uh, so we do we know that that's the line he's going to play on that's what he's you know so obviously that's going to help a lot what do you expect from him uh, my hot take going into this season and I'm sure I'll be repeating it on some previews with locked on NHL I say he hits a thousand points this year and that oh, is wow. an enormous season that would be a 77 point season I say yeah. he's going to do that right at the end yeah is it high for sure this is also a guy though who had 18 points in his last 12 regular season games with the Florida Panthers. This guy still produces at a, at a real high level. And I think that the energy he's going to get 
from playing in front of friends and family for 41 games this year, having his kids at the rink and being able to help Tim Stutzla take the next step in the third year of his career. I think this is going to be a rejuvenating year for, for Claude Giroux. So I understand I'm high on it. I think he had 66 points last year. So I'm giving him a bit of a boost, but realistically, and we'll get to some bet online totals about, uh, about the regular season point totals for the teams, but they just put out their player props as well at betonline.ag. And they've got Claude Giroux at 54 and a half. And I, I think he goes slightly on the over, but anywhere 50 and up, I'd say is a successful year. No pills. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's the value he brings with the face off because there's five other guys in this top six now that can produce points. There's not five other guys that can win face-offs and have the veteran experience that Claude Giroux has. And something else interesting, Laura, is is that they've decided, and this just came out uh, about a day before we're recording here on Thursday, September 29th. I know this is going to come out October 9th, right before the season. We're going to get the hype going. But they're rolling with the exact same first power play unit as last year. So that means no Debrinket and no Giroux on the top power play unit. They're rolling with Shabbat, Batherson, Norris, Stutzla and Brady's obviously the net front guy. That unit was so good last year. They're like, okay, we've got these two kids coming in that we have high hopes for in Shane Pinto and Jake Sanderson. So Sanderson and Pinto are going to be on the second unit with Claude Giroux and Alex Debrinkit. So I don't even know if you can call it a second unit. DJ Smith keeps referencing the St. Louis Blues who split up the talent on their two and they, they were second in the league last year. So that's something to watch this season as well is how, how do you have a two-time 40-goal scorer, 24 years old, not on your top unit? It'll be interesting to see how the players respond to that. I think it's actually, you know what? I think that's great. Imagine having such an embarrassment of riches yeah. that you can put your top talent or, you know, elements of your top talent on your second wave. Um, I just have one more question because I know, you know, we're running out of time a little bit. Is that you mentioned, you know, the top six players. Like, there's a lot of fun top six players. Like, what do you do if that top two punch gets a little bit too crowded i mean i feel like sometimes skill players are very much wasted on the bottom two lines like i feel like there's such a thing as a good bottom six you know and a good bottom yeah. six player like for me the epitome of that is jake evans on the montreal canadians like he's not going to be a top line player he's not going to be a top six player but as a bottom six player he performs amazingly so like what what happens now when you're you're getting closer to trying to contend do you think some of that forward talent gets traded away for defensive help what are your thoughts on that I think the Ottawa Senators are in a position where they're very fortunate that this offseason they picked up two great players in Dabrinkit and Claude Giroux and then throw Cam Talbot in there as well without letting too many detrimental pieces go the other way. And they still have a stocked pipeline of prospects that they might be able to keep all these guys at least for a while until they kind of outprice themselves as uh, good teams tend to do, like the Tampa Bay Lightning eventually Guys just upgraded and outpriced themselves. But, but Pilsy, they're they're all locked in. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. The top, the core guys are gonna be there, right. but the bottom six guys that want to bump up to the core and eventually get priced out, that's right. gonna happen. But the Ottawa Senators, they can keep those guys at that level while using prospects and draft picks now to acquire help on the back end like they need. Like that's mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it, is they're still in that sweet spot where they haven't exhausted all their future uh, assets in trade deadline rentals because this is their first year where that that would even be an option so they still have ways to 
keep everyone in their spots slotted in this NHL roster while upgrading in other areas of weakness using uh, prospects and picks. And I think finally, not only does, does the addition of the top end talent help the top six, but now, and Alex Formanton, of course, it's still clouded with the hockey can investigation. He hasn't been named, but of course there's the thought he was on that world junior team, but he also doesn't have a contract. So how is that going to go? They pick up Tyler Mott to come in as a restricted or as an unrestricted free agent. They get him. And now all of a sudden that third line and Shane Pinto, of course, has to stay healthy. Only played five games last year before shoulder surgery wiped out the rest of his year. Like the depth is looking good. Montreal native Mathieu Joseph was unbelievable when he came over. He's first. You like him. He's good. eh? second <laughs> in franchise history in points per game. Sample size be damned right behind Danny Heatley, most points per game in uh, Sens history. But no, all jokes aside, I think the depth is going to be kind of intriguing part of this as well. But you're right. At some point, you do have to decide who's on the outside looking in of the core and how can we address an area of weakness because of that. I just gave you a couple of guys who I think could be X factors for the Sens. We'll get Pilsy's take on those as well. And who on the Montreal Canadiens could you get on your fantasy team and still expect production even though they're the reigning First ever 32nd place team in the National <laughs> Hockey. They had to get that shot in. We'll have more of this Locked On crossover with Laura Saba from Locked On Canadiens. For Brandon Pillar, I'm Ross Levitan. Stick with us. We're a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. All right, you're listening to the crossover edition of our Atlantic Division preview. You can go to our YouTube page, Locked On Senators. You can also go over to Locked On Canadiens. Make sure you're subscribed there for daily coverage each and every weekday, all season long. And Laura, we're going to have to get you back on when it's Sens and Habs. I'm looking at the schedule right now, and like I said, it stinks not having this right away. The first meeting is December 14th. December 14th in Montreal, but don't worry. We'll turn up the heat on some of the coldest days of the year. A (laughs) back-to-back, first in Montreal, then in Ottawa, January 28th, and then January 31st and then February 25th in Ottawa will complete the four game series. So no spring games when sometimes playoff marches can be on, but I don't think that's going to matter this season in particular, but what Montreal Canadiens player besides the top two, because everyone knows the excitement around Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, but who are you most excited to see develop this season in Montreal? Like development? I'm yes. really hoping to see Caden Gooley make the team. Yeah. Uh, it nice. would make sense to send him to Laval and have him play that number one defenseman or number two defenseman minutes. Uh, that just, it makes the most sense. But he's one of the prospects that I'm most excited about. Before the 2022 draft class, he was the top next prospect in my mind. He was, you know, he was the best they'd had now that Caulfield had graduated to the NHL level. So I'm really excited about him. I don't necessarily think that he's going to make the team right away. And I wonder if they do some sort of a hybrid because I think it'd be very beneficial to him if there's a playoff push or a playoff run in Laval to put him there. Like I'd rather they do that than keep him in Montreal artificially when we know the Montreal team is not going anywhere. Um, I'm, but he's the guy that I'm the most excited to see. Like I think the Canadians really need, um, you know, they really need their defensive uh, future to shape, shake, shake up, shake out, shape up. You know, we want to see what it's going to look like. And right now it's, it's just a big question mark. There's guys, there's guys I'm excited about Lane Hudson being one of them. Um, I personally, in my mind, want to see a pairing with Kane Gooley and Lane Hudson. It'd just be really funny. Uh, but also, you know, um, I think I think one of the things Caden Gooley does that's underrated 
uh, by us too is his offensive skill. When he was first drafted, we thought, oh, just another defensive defenseman, like a big dude who's going to shut right. down, but not, but he generates offense. He might not, you know, be a pure goal scorer in any, in any sense of the word, but he, he, he's smart offensively. The mistakes that he makes that I see are mistakes of inexperience. They're not mistakes of lack of talent. Uh, you know, sometimes like a person can have hands, but like not be able to make decisions at all on the ice. Like that's not what I worry about with him. So I'm excited to see him take the next step. Um, and I think for me, uh, I want to see if Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield can continue their development. I mean, they are the two teams, they are the two players that people are watching the most right now. And I think last year we kind of got a little bit nervous with Cole Caulfield's first half of the season. And for me, I just want to see a little bit more consistency uh, in terms of improvement and not a whole lot, a little bit. Like I think they're, you know, they're the two players that are the most involved in, in most of the plays and everything like that. So I just want to see that uh, in terms of my expectations. I don't, I don't necessarily have somebody that's a sure bet to take the jump. But I will say this, I know Sen fans aren't going to like this, but Arbor Jacki, I think, is going to be an NHLer. When I, th- I had him pegged for a career NHLer, I had him also mistakenly pegged as a goon, as a pure goon, right? Like, just like some guy who's like, who, who does gratuitous violence. But yeah, he can yeah, actually play. Scout, actually. That's a good, that's a good report. <laughs> I, I think I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. I think people who had been watching him closely uh, when he was playing on the Bulldogs uh, were, would always argue with us. So we were like, he's too violent. They would always argue with us. But you see the way that he plays. And I think if he if he's able to stick to a defensive game, like he's he's going to be really good. And I think he's going to be in the NHL, which, you know, if you'd asked me this six weeks ago, I would have been like, are you crazy? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he came on in the playoffs. You look at it, and three years straight, or a, oh, actually, he got uh, he got traded midseason. But funny enough, it's like in 2019, 2020, it's 17 points. Then at the start of this year, it's 17 points with Kitchener, and then 17 points with Hamilton. But then he had 16 points in the playoffs. So wow. uh, this guy's uh, consistent, if nothing else, for sure. <laughs> I I don't know. I he's a lot more talented than we've all given him credit for, and and the Canadians got mm-hmm. him for free, right? Like he was undrafted. And I know, right. and this isn't this is something that like I know it's caused a lot of problems on the internet. Like he gets made fun of because he was playing at Costco. I'm like, he was he was, you know, gainfully employed. That is an honorable thing to do. Like he became a pro hockey player, but like, you know, in the absence of that, he had a job. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. So no, we don't chirp him for that. that. I just I just think he should hit guys when they have the puck and not five seconds after they dump it <laughs> off. That's my only issue with him. We're going to be fighting about this all year. Um, I hope so. Like I said, uh, the, the K trains just just marinating one more season in uh, in North Dakota, and then we'll have we'll have our own tank we'll on the see. back end because he's a big kid, man. What what is he? Six four two forty. Him and him and Slavkowski are both like the the twin towers out there. Yeah, he he's a big guy. He he's an interesting character too. You know, like people just talk about you know just that aspect of him that that violent streak. I think he's, you know, he and he talks about himself. He doesn't want to be known for that. So, like, I do think that there's a little bit of work that the coaching staff have to do with him uh, on that front. And people, you know, in the Canadian fandom, they do get upset when I say things like that. But I really do think that he needs to rein in those impulses um, and and really just play a defensive game because I do think that 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 aspect of his game is underrated. Again, I, I'm not I'm not saying this to rile up Senators fans. I really am mm-hmm. not. 
I'm saying this because I purely believe it because I've been wrong about that. And I like, and I, and I am eating crow on the sense podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all good. No, we, we understand. Like I said, if he was with Senator, I'd probably love him. But, yes. uh, and like Angus Kirkshanks, like one of our favorite guys. And he was quick to say last year, like that was, that was just a tough position. He put himself in. It was more so the, uh, the Austin Chuck hit and the Victor Lodeen hit where he, or no, the Lodeen where, uh, it was like after the whistle and it wasn't there anyways. So we'll, we'll chalk it up. We're, I'm keeping my eye on Jack guy though. I'm going <laughs> to keep my eye on him and we'll see. But Pilsy, who's the guy on the sends that uh, you expect to have a breakout year? The guy that I'm really looking at is Drake Batherson. Uh, he missed a lot of time due to injury last season. He was the Sens named all-star uh, before he got injured. And he was a guy that basically played at a point per game clip. Like he finished with 44 points in 46 games and, like Ross mentioned earlier in the episode, DJ Smith is going to keep him on that top power play unit where they've been clicking. He's going to stay on that line with Josh Norris and uh, Brady Kachuk. I only see that line getting better. And if Drake can stay healthy, I think he's someone that uh, a lot of the rest of the NHL is going to be so focused on Debrinket, Giroux, Norris, Stutzla, Brady, where he's someone that maybe may fly under the radar. So for fantasy drafts, he's a sleeper and for, uh, Fans of other teams, when Ottawa comes to town, keep an eye on Drake. Absolutely. And when we look at bet online, I already gave you some player props, but when it comes to point totals for the season, for teams, sometimes they're close and sometimes they're not. Last year, they opened the Ottawa Senators at 73 and a half points. They finished with 73. They opened with Montreal at 89 and a half and they finished <laughs> with 55. Ooh, Wow. Now the Habs are opening at 71 and a half points. Laura, are you confident that they can hit the over on that? Yes, not significantly over, but I am expecting that Martin St. Louis is going to get enough ties, ties, uh, overtime losses, ties. <laughs> you can tell how old I am. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and some wins because I think, you know, one of the things is that we talk about, we want a low, um, um, finish for the Canadians. Yep. We want a high draft pick. But are you going to tell Martin St. Louis to go out there and lose games? Because no, uh, no. <laughs> Right? And I think, you know, the Canadians defense is, I don't even think it's a question mark. I think it's just like a gap. Like a, just, just a, a giant it's a, it's a dot, dot, dot. It's a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> like it's to, to be, be continued. continued. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the goaltending is, it, it's dependent on uh, both the health of both goalies, Montembeau and Jake Allen, because I think they're competent. I'm not going to say they're carry price level. We're not going to get that kind of goaltending out of them, but they're competent. And, you know, Jake Allen, when he's healthy, can pull out those games that are really frustrating yeah. for yeah. the opponents. He's, he's yeah, gotten he, some. He's, he's, he's owned auto a couple times. Yeah. So I do think that, you know, with like, they're going to get basically competent goaltending if the both if both goalies can 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 be healthy and even be like sort of in the in the positive uh, positive end of that. I just think that you know their forwards like a lot of the scoring is going to be carried by Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. Um, they do have an embarrassment of riches at forward right now. In fact, they they're trying to trade a bunch of those guys because mm -hmm. there's just too many of them at the point at this point. So I do think that they're going to be able to pull out enough points to, to get the over, but not significantly over. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like 75, 78, something like that. I, I don't think they're going to go much higher than that. They're definitely going to be last in the division. I don't know if we're, if we're doing division rankings, but I don't think the <laughs> Canadians are going to be anywhere above. Like, this is the hardest division in the NHL. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and there are yeah. no other there are no other teams that are this bad in the division. 
No, even Buffalo is getting their influx of young talent right now as well. Detroit, Ottawa, there's been a lot of talk about them kind of going head to head. And yeah, no doubt. I mean, when I said Jake Allen did well against Ottawa, it brought me back to my least favorite moment of last season. Pilsy, when the Hamburglar turned on us. When yeah. the Hamburglar <laughs> turned on us. That was the saddest show I've ever seen. Ever. That, yeah, was, that was not sad. Fun. That was awesome. That was sad, man. He, that was he's amazing. Like a, he's our Cinderella story. Yeah. And, we and then he just it. grabbed the, the shoe and hit me over the head with it. With that, <laughs> was it a shutout? If not, it was one goal against. I want to say it was a shutout. I want to say it was good, a shutout yeah. too. I preferred it when he was shutting out teams in California and making that run <laughs> to the uh, to the playoffs on the last day of the season. Although it was the Montreal Canadiens that made the clock strike midnight on the Hamburglar run as well, uh, pulling him after the first two games of that six game series back in twenty. 20- 15. All right, Pilsy. So the Ottawa Senators are opening at 86 and a half. Where are you at with that? Again, uh, I'll follow Laura's optimism and I'll say over. I, it's a massive jump for the Ottawa Senators to make, but they made massive jumps in the offseason. And yes, the defense is still a question mark, but I really think this is a team that's going to outscore a lot of their problems. And then having two veteran goalies to give your chance uh, team a chance to win every single night is such a massive boost. And a lot of this hinges on young players. And a lot of these young players are only going to get better. Like, like I mentioned, I really think we're going to see improved seasons from Brady Kachuk, who led the team in scoring, had 30 goals. We're going to see hopefully a healthy Josh Norris, who had 35 goals in 66 games last year. And Tim Stutzla, after signing the richest contract in Ottawa Senators franchise history, He's going to be poised to have a big season with new line mates in Claude Drew and Alex Brinkett. So I think there's a lot of things trending upward for the Sens. And this year is different. Like the the players are sick of losing. Like Brady Kachuk, his entire career has been leading. Yeah, he's been leading a team to losing seasons. He's sick of that. So I think there's a lot of motivation. Everything is put in place for this team to succeed. I think... They're going to be a team that is battling for that final wild card spot in the East because the East is just so strong. It's very tough to make it. So that's where I see the Sens kind of slotting in here as we look at the season ending here. Well, this was an awesome season preview. Laura Saba, you can find her on Lockdown Canadiens on Twitter, LO underscore Canadiens. Pilsy, should we get her take on the leaf pile before we go? We've been doing this to each. each It is tradition. This the is tradition. Pile? We've got this. Yeah, the Leaf pile right outside the uh, the arena. You have to pick your favorite Leafs fan. This is right <laughs> after the Tampa Bay Lightning Game 7 win. We've had all different answers too, Ross. I don't think we've had too many repeat answers, so I'm interested oh. to see your favorite, Laura. Oh, my God. All right, hold on. There's so many good ones. There's For those listening so on audio, you got to – Go, go over to the YouTube channel, subscribe, and then just scrub towards the end. It is Ross, potentially... everyone has seen us bring this up. Even the audio listeners know the Leaf Pile pick. <laughs> All right. I you think got I've or got her. one. Yes. Yeah, so there is there is a woman sort of towards the center, uh, a little bit above the middle. Um, yeah. And... It looks like she's resting her head on 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 this guy's yeah, shoulder. Yeah, I see it. Yes, I that's a it. first. We haven't had this one called out yet. But yeah. to me, it looks like somebody who's saying, "Not again." Like yeah. it's not surprise. It's like it's resignation. It's it doesn't you know it, yeah. it doesn't look at all shocked. Yeah. A lot of she's the people done. Look she's yeah. tired. Yeah, the, so, the boy, the boyfriend. If that is uh, the relationship, there, he looks like he's told his girl like this year's different, and then it yeah. wasn't different. 
<laughs> deer in headlights a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, it was she's insane. just like not again. <laughs> How about also? Uh, I, I think it was Adam Denker who obviously he had the joy of being on the right side of this win as well with Locked On Lightning. But yeah. he pointed out the the woman under the scoreboard with the she's holding her hat. That's an all time sad, <laughs> angry face right there. You can see she's like right under the guy in the white jersey there. She's holding her blue Leafs hat. She is not having a good night. She is in one following a 4-3 overtime loss in game seven. This is, like this is a Mona know. Lisa. Isn't this a Mona Lisa right here? It's like the last supper. <laughs> this might I be know. our most pulled up photo. This is really, really funny because I didn't know that, that this was a thing. Oh, um, yeah. I, like I just assumed you were going to ask about the Leafs and I was just I was, I was getting ready but this is even more fun than that no P- Pilsy is the one who titled uh, Maple Leaf Square the Leaf Pile because they all <laughs> just go and and then they get swept away uh, after the first round but uh, <laughs> no this this has been great Laura any final thoughts or questions for us before we wrap up uh, I think we're good um, we'll probably encounter each other in November uh, yes. That is when when it is uh, December fourteenth. December fourteenth. I first <laughs> said November. December fourteenth. You get a break from us, Laura. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make good use of it. Um, I think. I think. I. I hope the Habs do because I. I hope that the conversation that we're having kind of illuminates at that point, like where these teams are going. Like, is Ottawa yeah. and D taking those strides forward that their that their offseason moves have have uh, you know dictated they would. And is Montreal like on a, on a slow and steady improvement? Like, I don't want to see any of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, these questions will all either be answered or be well on their way to by then we'll be sure to have a crossover edition available for the great listener by then. I'm sure your listeners are like, hell no, get these guys out of here. And our listeners like, no more halves. It's great. But that's what makes the rivalry <laughs> because then we'll, we'll then sit here all the way through it and, we always say we, we laugh whenever like, you know, Wheeler or Elite Process, they put out their list. We say we get mad at lists. Well, there's also getting mad at your rivals, which is always fun as long as we all keep it nice and respectful at the same time. Laura, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for doing it. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. Pilsy, any final thoughts, brother? I'm just so excited. I I had two the two tales of the Ottawa Senators Habs rivalry last year. Laura, I went all the way to Montreal. It was yeah. my first time there. I was so excited. The Senators lost five one. It was <laughs> it was not fun. Sorry. It was not great for me. Yes, but the other side of that story is Ross and I got to have an incredible day in Ottawa, where they send a beat up on the Habs in it, what six, six four. four? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a we went fun to get game. a beer. We missed three goals though. Yeah, it, it <laughs> that was when you quick. had the gathering, right? Like, yeah, yes, yeah, that yeah, was exactly. our meet and greet day. So it, that it was, was the Gallagher 2.0. He took a penalty on Timmy, and the DJ played in your head. <laughs> that was just a, a great night. It, it was a ton of fun. No, and hey, more moments to come in the rivalry. The most important stat, though, one one in playoff series right now. Ottawa got the better of Montreal in 2013. Montreal did the same in 2015. And we hope that one day, sooner rather than later, these two teams will meet again because the drama is unparalleled across the National Hockey League. For today, though, we say goodbye. You can follow Laura, as I said, on Twitter, LO underscore Canadiens. Download, subscribe wherever you get their podcasts. Same as Send Central on Twitter. For Laura Saba and Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been another crossover edition of the Locked On NHL Podcast. It's your team every day.